Welcome to Season 2 of the Sales Competition Show, where we share the latest sales performance research, insights, and solutions through in-depth discussions with industry experts. Our goal for Season 2 is to enable our listeners to make smarter decisions based on real-world data and behavioral psychology. Join us for more holistic conversations and discussion about sales compensation and sales force effectiveness that will improve the lives and careers of both current and future sales comp leaders. I'm your host, Nabil Alazam. Today's guest is Stephen Long, Head of Global Sales Compensation at Blue Yonder, a world-leading digital supply chain management company. Stephen is a highly accomplished sales compensation and operations executive with an impressive track record of over 25 years in the field. He brings an experienced point of view to the show and has a profound understanding of the intricate dynamics that drive sales success. Join us as we delve into the world of sales compensation both now and in the future. You're in for a great discussion and one that I thoroughly enjoyed. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. You know, it's great to have a accomplished and veteran sales comp leader to have this discussion with. And I was curious because sales compensation is such a unique space and those that come in and decide to stick through it and fight the good fight tend to have a lot of unique and great experiences. But I'd love to find out you know, a bit more about how you found yourself coming into the world of, of sales comp. Well, I was actually a, a sales rep a long time ago at this point. And I always had a desire to work in headquarters somewhere, somehow. And sales operations team at the company I was at, at the time had a, we'll call it a, uh, an internal internship available to kind of spend six months on the sales ops team and kind of learn what they do, things of that nature. So I was interested. I took that opportunity. I ended up working for a person who was running the sales compensation part of sales operations. So that was my interim assignment, if you will. And the internship got extended another six months. They wanted to keep me. Then at that point, they may have been offered to stay. I liked what I was doing. I had a lot of satisfaction out of the work. I always find sales compensation kind of like a big puzzle and a little puzzle. So that's kind of how I got into it. And I've been doing it ever since. And that was probably back in 1995, I think that I started. Yeah, it is a kind of the final piece. And a lot of the inputs that feed into it are quite interesting and spend the entire business, right? From the go-to-market mm-hmm. strategy at the highest of levels, from channels and the design of go-to-market all the way through to the nuance of product mapping within an organization. And so, right. uh, yeah, it is a complex, fun puzzle and you get to be in touch with a lot of parts of the organization. I certainly agree. Yes. So can you tell me a little bit more about your role and priorities today at Blue Yonder? Yeah, so I lead the, the global sales compensation function here for Blue Yonder. It's an interesting, exciting time here. There's a lot of change, a lot of go-to-market changes going on in the business. So some of that fun with puzzles I get to experience almost on a daily basis lately, which is uh, makes the job interesting, keeps it exciting. So there's a lot of different changes we're looking to work through right now. And obviously looking at making changes in the sales organization, sales compensation is coming right along with that. So that's kind of what we're looking on right now. And so if you think about your 25 years of experience working at these top brands like the Blue Yonders, the McKessons, and DMBs of the world. I guess stepping back, how have these roles shaped your understanding of the importance of sales comp in terms of driving business results? I guess in different ways of different companies based on what was going on at the time and kind of the roles of responsibilities. So anything from looking at, you have a go-to-market strategy, for example, you're going to make a go-to-market change, right? Usually a lot of people watch and they think about it. It's like, now that we have it all done, Let's write a comp plan. And I think what I've found throughout my time is that to get an effective comp plan or comp program or structure, 
you have to look at the total comp of the job, which goes all the way back to what is it we want this job to do? What's the job to be done by the sales role based on the change you've made your go-to-market strategy and the change this particular job is going to have in the role responsibility of it. So that's one of my big learnings throughout my time at different companies is really you have to have the compensation part at the beginning of the conversation. Now you're going to solve it then, but they need to be involved as they start the process of building the go-to-market strategy, the customer segmentation, because there's impacts to how you want to design compensation from a total comp perspective to just the variable part. And I think it's helpful for the business while going through that process to understand what are the, we'll call it the unintended consequences. If I do this, what what challenges would it mean for compensation for our sales teams later? And I think having them understand that beginning of the process and throughout the process, I think it gets you to a much better place when you're done with your go-to-market build. And because I've seen when not doing that in the past is you get to the end of your go-to-market build and then you have tons of issues of now we can't really execute on how we want to pay people or we want to motivate them to do or things of that nature because we don't have the automation set up for the metrics. We can't track this or whatever the case may be. It's true. I feel like uh, in our past discussions, you know, in the sense of sales comp is a very important lever in changing behavior. And if you're going through a go-to-market shift, one of the parts of that shift is ultimately changing behavior of a sales team and not having that seat at the table early enough and being a part of that strategy discussion, it certainly leaves a lot of missed opportunity to drive the optimal or ideal outcome that the business is targeting. And I think this is even more important as what we're seeing, and I'm curious to get your perspective on this, given, again, your experience across these different organizations and the years of experience that you have is that to us, we're seeing the go-to-market strategy shift and change happen more and more frequently. And as agility becomes more of a demand these days for large enterprises, the more that you have to constantly reshaping and rethinking your go-to-market strategy. And so I'm curious how that kind of speed and that shift is further putting the pressure on having sales comp be a part of that process. And so we'd love to get your input on that. I think a lot of times, especially it seems like lately you're doing it more often. And it's probably because it changes in the different markets changes in product development. I mean, you think about the last probably 15, 20 years, there's been larger changes in product advancement than probably in the last 100 years before that, right? So things are constantly changing. You have to be very agile to be able to react to that as an organization and how to attack that market or the new market or the changing market as a sales organization. I know a lot of times it's tempting to do it fast because we want to have an impact as quickly as possible, but there's also that balance of doing it too fast, you're not going to get the result that you want. Or the other side would be changing too often. Anybody that's done sales compensation for a while would know that typically when you change a comp plan, you need probably at a minimum 18 months to even know if that change had any effect. So if you're changing your go-to-market strategy and thus your compensation structures and designs every two, three years, I question sometimes, how do we know that it even worked? I mean, yeah, there's an interesting, most times when I've seen changes be rolled out, if you have the infrastructure and the data to be able to do it, we almost say, push yourself to come up with a list of KPIs or data points mm -hmm. that you're going to assess your design, not the sales team's performance, but effectively the KPIs that you expect to drive from this call plan and are ultimately leading indicators of success of the call plan and start tracking that as soon as you can. But that's a tall order because a lot of organizations that may not have all the data readily available to be able to effectively measure the plan effectiveness. And so to your point, it might take you 
you know, significantly longer time. I think you touched on something that's very interesting. And I think the speed in the last five, 10 years, what's been done is orders of magnitudes more than the previous 50 or 100 years. And I keep on thinking about this as you go back to the role of sales in 1950s or 1960s. And you think about a world where as a sales rep, selling to a customer, it meant actually being you know, a field seller where you are knocking on doors, you are bringing a product that's likely a physical product mm-hmm. to a customer to purchase in a very human and in-person interaction. And so you think about the number of meetings that you can actually have in a day, the number of interactions, the type of interactions. I mean, we can accomplish more in two hours than what a rep likely could have accomplished in a matter of days or weeks. And I think that level of speed means that there's so many more decision points, so many different behaviors that you're ultimately trying to drive. And it makes the role of the comp plan, the role of the go-to-market strategy even tougher because you're effectively having to optimize for more in a smaller amount of time. And so I'm curious, even in the last 15 to 20 years, how you've seen that kind of the shifting in the sales role shift the impact it's had on what you've brought to the table from a go-to-market strategy perspective and then the lens of incentive comp to support that. So I think some of the things are just the creation of new jobs based on those changes you described. So you think about the use of technology to make sales calls, right? Not if we go face-to-face anymore. Well, that, how long ago was it that it created the implementation of inside sales teams, which is a totally different job, totally different comp model than a field sales rep. A lot of times your segmentation then is created based on having an inside sales role is a different kind of customer than a field sales role, which is different than maybe a strategic or key account director type role, right? So that's where you create your customer segmentation, get your efficiencies and your scale from your inside sales to cover a lot more companies, a lot more customers, sell a lot more stuff with their lower end, but your margins are. So when you think about how does it impact sales compensation, the vast number of different jobs in sales. Like you think about it, you're playing in the 50s, it was probably one job. You sell X, I'll pay you X percent of the X. That was it. That was the complaint. Now it's, we have to have different types of jobs with different lengths of sales cycles that create different types of complaint designs. We have certain things that we want certain jobs to focus on these things, but not that much on those things. So we're going to pay differently, credit differently, so we can actually drive the behavior without having a manager do all of the leading of what a rep should and shouldn't do. People want in the account plan to lead what they should and shouldn't do or what they should or should not try to sell. But what do we like more or like less for themselves? But based on profitability, based on inventory, whatever the case may be. You're absolutely right. These shifts in roles and coverage models and the behaviors that we want are just radically changing how we think about the design element. You touched on something earlier around what we discussed earlier, being brought to the table as a sales comp leader when these go-to-market strategies are being deployed. I guess, what are the, some of the key challenges that you've encountered in that area in terms of being asked to be at that table earlier on? Yeah, I think the challenge of not being there, I guess maybe if that's your question, trying to dig in a little on. So I'd say some of, not being there from a sales comp perspective, as you find what we haven't been there at the beginning and they go through their whole process and say, okay, here's the model. Now we need to execute on getting comp plans and getting people paid and et cetera. Is, there's a lot of things for they haven't thought about what drives a comp plan. What can we pay on? What can't we pay on? How do we get this data? Does it exist? Can we track it? You know, all those type of things that if you're not thinking about it up front, or if you did think about it up front, would it alter your go-to-market strategy slightly or at all, right? And I think not being there, if you think about 
all the different roles involved in supporting and driving sales. Sales team, obviously, there's a sales operations team, your sales compensation, who may or may not be part of sales ops, but your sales compensation team. But you think about having those together at the same time, there's not, I mean, there's any one person, any business, you know, everything about every part of the business. So I think having those groups involved upfront together, they can help the executive that's trying to drive this change in his organization think through all the potential pitfalls or we don't have this or we thought about that or things of that nature that can maybe help better inform that executive team on a better or more ideal go-to-market model. Usually it's based around something. It's based around products. It's based around customer types, based around profitability, whatever it may be that it's built around. That's great. But then it's, well, how do we build that model or that customer, that go-to-market framework? I think it comes down to what can and can't we do well? Where can we make trade-offs that we don't do well? Where don't we want to make trade-offs? Where do we need to invest if it's an important thing we don't do well? Do we need to invest whether it's best resources, best people, invest money, whatever it may be? You said something interesting around putting up your hand and saying, you know, we can or cannot measure on that, that data exists or doesn't exist and being a part of that conversation. And I typically find that in sales comp, we use data differently than what upstream functions use because ultimately you need to be 100% accurate, right? We say, you know, you have to be accurate to the penny when you pay someone. Whereas when you're setting quota, you can be 99.9% accurate. When you're setting a forecast, if you're 99% accurate in a forecast, you're doing an amazing job. There's an element of, there's all these assumptions you can make on the edge cases when you're doing the upstream planning. In sales comp, there's no assumptions. You have to be spot on. I can't define that in sales comp, we use a different version of the data. We're keeping version history of the data that we're using in order to pay accurately on it. And these are the types of things that upstream team members may not be aware of. And so how do you bridge that gap there? Because I think that getting everyone to understand the complexity is one of the toughest things in sales comp. And you're now having to kind of be a part of that conversation at the strategy side with people that are not necessarily aware of all the acute details to be able to get to that final outcome in sales comp. Yeah, well, I think sometimes that's a tough one. It's a good question. But trying to help bridge that gap. And sometimes I'll even use an example. Just simply say, what I'm trying to understand to make sure that I, what you're trying to do. Because whenever I hear this, here are the two or three different things I'm thinking about. Are you meaning this way? Are you meaning this way? Or are you meaning that way? And then once you kind of go through that exercise, and they say, well, I'm thinking this way. Why? Well, because we go this way. What, are we going to use this data, that data, or that data? We need one source of truth for comp data. And it should be a source of truth that they can access on a daily, weekly basis to track their own performance. And then whatever they're looking at to track their own performance should match, in my opinion, 100% to what they see in their comp statement. So we have to make sure that we're all aligned on what version of the data. Because to your point, if you're selling any widgets, for example, right, there could be a scenario where the company that makes X margin on the widget. But then we get down to a rep level, and there's other costs involved in that. So the rep's going to realize why margin. The margins are not the same. So if the ref's looking at the company margin and I pay them on rep margin, they're going to complain that the comp data's wrong. So we have to make sure up front that we know what we're paying on, what version of it it is, and then where all it has to be once we go live, where does it all have to be so that finance knows what we're paying on, we know what we need to pay on in sales comp, the rep knows what they're going to get paid on, reduces the noise greatly once you go live. Yeah, 100%. But it is the tough problem because, again, that disconnect between the upstream and downstream, but it's always worthwhile to spend the time there because the last thing that you want is to get to the planned deployment and then realize that there's a gap. And to your point, it could either be something where 
it's now you have two sources of truth and you have disruption and noise from the sales team. Or, you know, I've seen in the worst case, you just can't even deploy a plan because you can't accurately measure and pay on it. And then that would be kind of starting from scratch and delaying everything. And a good example of that too happened at one point. The quarter setting process was in sales ops and obviously I had in sales compensation. And our two groups not being involved from the beginning, when you got to the end, it went to execute. They went and did their thing on quarters. I went and did my thing on building and tracking in the ICM solution. But both of our visions of what we were building quotas and tracking for were different. So when it came down to go live, the quotas weren't built the same way the track was built. We had to redo it all, which caused a delay. Yeah, exactly. And the sensitivity of getting that right is so important that, so mm-hmm. I guess from a perspective of when you're at that, you know, the early stage of this process and you want to ensure that the strategies are aligned with the business outcome that you're treating to, the, ultimately the businesses are striving to achieve. What are the things that you're pushing back on or at least bringing to light in terms of, you know, incentive design principles or ultimately, I want to say more of the motivational elements of what incentives could do with regards to the desired outcome from the strategy perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me, I think what's very important when in doing go to market change, especially when changing the, the jobs or creating new jobs, moving accounts around based on the new customer segmentation is looking at the compensation, not just from a variety perspective. But looking at it from a total compensation, total cash perspective. And that includes based on this new job and new responsibility, are we competitive in the market? Are we within the range? Where do we want to be in the market? 50%, percent 60th, 75th, where do we want to be? I think that not just the total comp, then minutes, what's the mix of that total comp? Like I've seen a number of times where the thinking was, okay, we're going to create, change jobs, change the job description, change the comp plan, but we're not going to do anything with salary or what, what their commission targets are worth. But if look what the job is, because if you're looking at a job that was traditionally a call like a middle market type job, field rep, and now you're creating a new job that is a strategic account manager. We have to look at things like what's the selling cycle of the job? Is it the same as what it was before? Are the selling cycles longer? Is it a more technological sale than they were doing previously? Is it a harder sale? Is there a more complex customer? Things are going to take longer for a rep to get a close. Do you want to cultivate and build the entire relationship or just focus on turn and burn? getting sales in. Because if you want more of a strategic account type rep, you might be able to think about a mix that's way more towards salary than variables. So they're thinking longer term. They're thinking about relationship building. They're not worried about being able to pay their bills if they don't make a sale this month. So I think it's critically up to look at the entire package of compensation. And that's where the companies where I didn't own total and compensation for sales jobs, we would bring in our HR total rewards partners to make sure they're involved and they hear so they can help with while we're going through all the other work, they're starting to gather, get job descriptions put together, market pricing done, what's the right mix for the job, things that they change. I think they go hand in hand, ultimately. If I think about the premise behind variable pay or pay for performance, you want to pay for performance and you want to pay at a competitive level. And if you're at the core, if your on-target earnings or pay mix is off to competitive benchmarks, you're going to have a problem even before you get to the design of an incentive plan and the mechanics of it. It's interesting because you've had both roles. You've kind of engaged and worked in both types of scenarios where you own the entirety of both the level setting of comp and the actual mechanics of the incentive plan and the design of the incentive plan versus Mm -hmm. having it separate. Do you have a preference for one or the other? What are the things that you think are important to consider when you own both versus not? Yeah, I personally, I prefer to have all of it. And the reason that I do is I find, and this is a shot in my past partners, but 
Well, I will admit, though, after a while that sales is a very unique animal. It's not like you're going out and trying to do all these salary range and company bonus percentage for accountants. Accountants and accountant, right? But there are so many different myriad of sales jobs. You have to really understand sales and understand what kind of job am I matching this to in the market? How close of a match is it? Because if you don't really understand sales jobs in general, you're not going to be able to match the jobs. You're going to use what somebody wrote up look at what somebody typed into the Radford survey and okay, I guess that's a good match, right? But I think you really have to know sales jobs and is a really good match or do we have to discount or increase the weighting on a particular job or matching to it to make sure you get a good competitive pay scale for that particular job? Yeah, we tend to agree. And I think there's also another element of, you think about as a sales comp team, the sales team is your customer. And one of the things that you typically find is you're onboarding new reps that you're hiring in you're onboarding them onto the comp plan. It's a great time to get feedback and kind of get an assessment of, are they familiar with this structure? Is this you know kind of what they're used to? Even subtle cues are great kind of inputs mm-hmm. into the overall process. And if you own both, you end up having a much better lens, even from that perspective, as kind of the end owner of the entirety of the process for that customer, the stakeholder, which is the sales team. And so I would agree. So... You've touched on a few different examples and, you know, back to the conversation around the sales comp team being a critical part of go-to-market strategy shifts and, and alignment. You touched on a few examples of this conversation, but I guess, can you maybe share an example where being at that table as a part of a big go-to-market shift really had a massive impact to the outcome? So I went through a few of these, but one particular that comes to mind is it was a Division. It's just one sales team in a business, not the entire. Like, we had more than one sales team in a business, put it that way. So, one of the sales teams, if they hadn't hit their number in like five years, so a new president came in and wanted to, you know, look at it differently. And there's got to be a better way, right? Than what we're doing right now. So, we went through the process to go to market, done the strategy and changed to it. And it was everything from starting off, where do we find that leader think the opportunities are? How are we going to change the trend and momentum of this business? And based on that strategy, we kind of looked at, went through a whole process of a customer segmentation. I actually believe that if you're going to do a code market change, if you don't do customer segmentation, you're, really, you're not going to get much out of it. All you do is change the comp plan with the same setup you already have. I don't know how much it's going to work for you. So we created new customer segmentation that resulted in new jobs being created, which meant that we had to go through the process on my team, pricing the jobs and building the mixes and recommending you know, how much salary versus variable and then designing plans. To me, I think it worked very well because we had the sales comp team, the sales operations team, finance team, all together from day one. And the president's direct report, so the senior sales leaders, was all from day one. So it's great because you get buying from the sales organization. It's not like headquarters is here's what we're doing. They create their own strategy, right? At the same time, too, I think the sales operations team and sales comp team help guide them along the way with the kind of watch outs or... You know, if we do this, it's going to be hard to do that once we get to building plan designs or quotas or whatever the particular topic was, which I think kind of really helped them get to where they wanted to go a little bit more intelligence, a little bit faster based on having the information up front versus wait until it's over and then saying, ah, it's not going to work. We have to redo it, right? And they just still have the entire launch of the, of the program. Yeah, I think when you get that opportunity to kind of from like clean slate, rebuild, I've seen it time and time again. It just ends up making your the overall effectiveness of the plan and the downstream outputs an 
if you create a new incentive plan, but the go-to-market motion is not focused enough, it's we're not we're spending too much time with some customer segments versus others. Mm-hmm. Um, you're ultimately driving behaviors that are not likely to lead to success. And so, yes, you can drive more of them and you can motivate your team to spend you know more time. But ultimately, if that behavior is not proving to to lead to a better outcome, then you kind of get stuck doing the same thing to generate the same mm-hmm. outcomes that you had in the past. I mean, I'm curious to get your perspective on this. I think one of the approaches that we've seen is like, you first need to understand the customer potential. And that is part of the segmentation process is understanding, you know, which customers, where you're going after. Then it's really understanding the behaviors to capture that potential. And this Mm -hmm. is kind of where you mentioned bringing sales ops into the room and and having the sales leaders there under what's the selling motion now that I've broken up these different segments. And as a result, to your point, what are the roles? And then incentives finally feeds in in terms of, okay, now I want to drive this behavior. What is the best incentive plan? But mm-hmm. if you're not at the table from day one, and if you're not there to have that conversation and be in the loop, I agree. It's to our, to our previous conversation. If you're brought in too late, one, it may not be a meaningful behavior to incentivize on or something we can't mm-hmm. track. But two, we're not also giving inputs to what we can meaningfully track and measure and actually incentivize or conversely can't and ultimately kind of guiding that upstream piece. Yeah, I think take it to an extreme example, but to your point you're making, they could come out of that, all those sessions and sales ops and, and sales comp team aren't involved. And they say, well, this job here, the most important behavior we want to drive is setting up appointments with customers. Okay. <laughs> so can you comp on that? I can, but I don't think that's the greatest idea, best use of our money. So it's being there up front early to kind of take those. That's a really extreme example, like I said, but to take that and say, you know, a best practice for sales company is probably not paying to, to set up appointments and go see customers. We pay them a salary for that. We expect them to do this part of the job. You know, the the valuable portion and a pay for performance model should be the outcomes from all those things, not the activities of those things. I mean, that's just what I look at saying we're being in from the beginning helps all these teams that support the sales organization to, to make them more successful to make the launch of the go-to-market more successful. Because not that, I don't make it sound like that we're there to always tell them why we shouldn't do this or can't do that. But if we just better understand what it is they're trying to drive or trying to accomplish with the activity they're asking for, we can give them a better product, a better output. 100%. I mean, if I think about it as sales comp team is managing the second largest investment vehicle on average for most organizations, where you invest that money has a very important business outcome to every employee, every shareholder, and every customer at the end of the day that is trusting in the company to execute and move forward in the right way. And so I think extreme example that you highlighted, the element, because I would agree in that situation is how do we know that that's actually going to drive the right behavior? And how do you know it's not going to get gamed mm-hmm. to the wrong outcome? And so it's funny, it's like stepping back, it's you are applying a fiscal discipline as a sales comp professional to ensuring mm-hmm. the business investing the money in the right way. It might be okay to say we're going to pay for booking meetings, mm-hmm. but then we need to have a very, very refined approach to yep. truly understand it's a meeting with this customer at this stage with this type of outcome. And if it meets these parameters, we are willing to pay that money because we are confident statistically it will lead to X, mm-hmm. Y, and Z outcome. 
And even then, you would have to continuously watch that to make sure you're tracking the parameters to make sure things aren't being shifted or the world isn't kind of moving in a different direction. And in my mind, you know, you wouldn't make any business decision from an M&A or an investment perspective without having your CFO at the table. And same thing with sales and kind of go-to-market strategy. To do that without having the sales comp team, the kind of the fiscal observers of that investment vehicle at the table is kind of a missed opportunity. Yeah. And you think about your example of you're talking of paying on uh, meetings, right? There are certain situations where maybe I've set up as an MBO, but it's also yeah. the value you're putting on that. Yes. Like, can you imagine you can say, well, I want hundred percent of their comp based on meetings. You're the one that's going to have the conversation. And when the CFO comes to me and says, well, we can, we're 80% to our number. We were 110% of our budget. What happened? Well, we got a lot of meetings. So <laughs> that's why you should be careful of those kind of metrics and plans. Yeah. 100%. And it's funny because can you measure it to, can you tie it to an outcome for the business? Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that part is if you can accomplish those two things in an activity based incentive structure, you have to be confident that you can actually that tie to the outcome is dynamic. And our example of, okay, we're confident that a meeting with a customer of this type at this stage, with this profile and role is going to lead to a higher outcome. Maybe that's today when only 20% of sellers are going after that type of profile. But when I have every seller on that team now honing in on like booking those meetings because they get paid for just the meeting, I better be able to adjust and dynamically switch the definition of what good looks like in a way where it's not disruptive to the sales force. And I think you mentioned this, you know, you talked about earlier is you don't want to be changing call plans too frequently. It's a very disruptive thing for the sales team. Mm-hmm. But one way that, you know, we've seen that enables you to manage the disruption while still keeping flexibility is actually not ruling out a call plan that's fixed. We're rolling out a call plan that is a framework and then updating attributes and making tweaks over time. So where you have less confidence, especially in a high growth or high scaling organization, it's defining, okay, we're going to pay you on meetings, or at least a portion of your plan is based on meetings as an example, because we're very confident in that outcome. I know kind of we're going down this rabbit hole of a plan that pays on meetings, but then it's very important that the definition of what is a qualified meeting has the right to be changed. And the sales team is aware that on a certain cadence, maybe it's monthly, maybe it's quarterly, the attributes of what meeting qualifies or doesn't qualify may or may not change depending on the outcome. But you're right, without some sort of frameworks that enable us to guarantee that every dollar we're spending is actually generating that outcome, you could easily be in a situation where you're well over your budget, but underperforming as a business. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the scary thing with sales comp. It's naturally pay for performance. We're going to overpay our top reps. We're going to underpay our bottom reps. If you don't get that distribution right, if there's something off, you know, you can be quite a bit over budget relative to what your business performance is. And, you know, there's also other factors, right? So depending on the market you're in, talent could be scarce. So you're afraid to lose anybody that's decent, at least, right? And yep. it's hard to gain anybody that's good. So there's other, I guess, mitigating factors that say, well, because of this, we're going to spend money, even though maybe we shouldn't, because we want to keep reps engaged or keep them here. You can get it, right? It's just typically not a best practice, but there's always some other circumstance, I could say, it'll cost us more to try to replace 20 reps if they all leave than spending an extra, whatever, X dollars on a spiff or some kind of plan component that gets them some money. 
Yeah, 100%. To keep those best reps, you need to be paying above the average and paying a good, an, an amount that will keep them satisfied and, and in the seat. And I think stepping back, I think you, you know, touch on a few of the key factors that contribute to the success of that project and having the right stakeholders and being involved early. Is there anything else I think, you know, that you could share that was critical to the business recognizing that the approach had to be taken and bringing everyone in? And I'm asking this as a, as a sales comp leader, maybe, you know, someone who's listening to the show that's just entered kind of that role and wants to be in a position where they are part of the strategic design and supporting the go-to-market strategy. What are the things that they could do to set themselves up for success, you know, with, when it comes to, to being asked to be brought to the table? Yeah, I think there's a, besides what we've already talked about, a couple other things that I can think of. Socialization, communication. So when you're at a certain point that you have your go-to-market set up, I think before that even happens, there should be communication by probably the senior most leader that's in the organization, but giving the Salesforce updates as to what we're doing, why we're doing, tentative timelines for it, when they'll hear the next step. I'm just to bring them along along the way uh, instead of a, here it is, here's what we're doing, here's your new plan, good luck. It's a shock to the system. People worry about what does it mean for my job? Am I going to be here long term? So I think just the, the socialization of it along the way, yeah, I think is very important. Another one I'd probably say is we talked about a little bit, like try to do it quickly. Like if it's already September and you haven't started, I wouldn't plan on going live with it in the next calendar year. Right. So I think if you think about a go-to-market strategy, hopefully if you do it well, would be in place for four, five, six years if you do it well. So take more than three weeks to build a program and a strategy that you want to last five years to get you hopefully five years of growth. Right. The other thing I see sometimes too is when you built your go-to-market strategy, even if you identify what we want to incent refs to do or how we we'll pay them for or not pay them for, it doesn't all have to happen at one time. You can think about what's our point of arrival in when we want to absolutely be 100% rolled out, let's say it's three years from now, and then build back each year what are milestones of change we're going to make to get to that versus dumping 100 changes on the sales team at one time, maybe get there over a couple of years. That's something I'd probably think about as well. The other thing I think is critical, I found in the past, that people really get hung up on when you go through this process, everything from going through the customer segmentation exercise to quota setting to comp plan design. It's going to be hard, but you try to try to get the sales leaders to not think about potential rep impacts because I've seen it a hundred times that going through the customer segmentation model they know this customer is going to go from this segment to that segment, but the rep that has the customer staying in the segment they're in, and that's a great rep. And we can't separate that rep from that customer. There are going to be circumstances where, for the customer reason, you don't want to separate the two, but try to ignore rep impacts and go into that process. You want to look at it and think about it before you roll it out to make sure we have an explanation, we're going to financial solution for that person, whatever the case may be. But if you let that get in your way, trying to build your customer segmentation or even your plan designs, they're going to be half done, right? So you half baked, if you will. I've seen it too many times where the guidance of keep the person out of the strategy and design kind of let be ignored, all to have the rep leave a month after yeah. deployment of strategy. And your point on proactively communicating, I mean, 100%, it's, there's a lot of complexity and the end-to-end process of go-to-market strategy and to make sure everyone's in the loop and the complexity of the project that needs to be done, I think for sure. And then to layer that layer 
the kind of the North Star of where you want to go, that three year, four year plan. You know, to me, it is more of an evolution than it is a revolution. You know, it's to try to take a complete, there are times where it makes sense. You just need to change the culture of the sales organization. You need to do a radical shift. Mm-hmm. Okay, we need to rip the Band-Aid off and completely do a, a, a redeployment. But the ideal state is that we know where we want to go and you are you know, doing it in bite-sized chunks to take the sales team on a, a story and walk them through a narrative of where we're going and the things that we're going to do to get there. And I think the more and more you can get that sales team to buy into the narrative and understand it becomes communicated, not just a part of sales comp, but as a part of you know sales kickoff and part of training and whether it's product training or if it's actually like sales training and sales methodology and weave that in, the more buy-in we get by the time we have to do those bigger changes. And so I think it's spot on to try to think that you could do it all at once is there's a time and place, but in most cases, more the evolutionary approach where you can roll something out, doesn't work, you can course correct, but we're all, you know, we know where we're going to at the long. I think that a key point of why the sales comp, sales operations teams need to be in from the beginning, day one, they're going to be able to help the business understand we can do it all at one time, but we can't do it all at one time. We need a point of arrival and we need a multi-year process to get there because they can come out with the greatest plan in the world and they come and say, here it is. But if we can't track these things, we don't have the information for that. We don't have the budget for this. So we can't do some of it. It just blows the whole plan up. So it's kind of like having them in from the beginning helps the business understand what's realistic. And if we really wanted to do it all in one fill sloop, what do you guys need? One maybe I need more time, right? One maybe I need money. One maybe I need more people. We need whatever the case may be. I think the business has to know that so that when they come out of this and roll it out to their sales team, they're confident that what we said we're going to do, we can do it. When we said we're going to be done, it will be done. 100%. And yeah, you need to instill that confidence because it's such a critical function within the organization. You need to have that. And so, you know, broadly stepping back and kind of thinking about, you know, is there a specific approach that a sales comp leader that's going through this shift right now, I mean, beyond just kind of calling pitfalls and mistakes that they should avoid, is there a specific approach that they should take in terms of how they rally both their team, but also in, engage on a day-to-day basis with the other stakeholders, right? Sales ops, finance, and kind of keep everyone up to speed while they're going through one of these go-to-market strategy shifts. Well, I've typically in the past has gotten those groups together and just set up a whatever you think the right frequency is, you know, once a week meeting just on for those groups, just on this particular project we're working on. So we can talk about the dependencies because all the groups you just mentioned, there's each group has a pension up. So the sales ops team can't create quarters until the finance team sets the high level budgets for the business, right? Then I can't design comp plans because if I don't know what the commission budget is for the business, I don't know what changes to rates or payouts or I would need to pay this job more or wherever the case may be. I'm dependent on that. You know, sometimes depending on how your plans are written, you can't get plans out to people until you know what the quota is for the job. To know what rates you're going to use to pay whatever your target commission is for a particular role. So all those dependencies is kind of getting the group together on a consistent basis to kind of talk through, you know, what's our overall project plan for our partners together, right? And then it's going back and sales leaders, executive leader on to that group to say, Here's where we're at. Here are the gaps. Here are the needs. Here are the dependencies we have. Here are the decisions we need from you. 
right, to help us continue moving on so that we can meet the deadline that, that you're set. There are a lot of key or there are a lot of bottlenecks in a project mm-hmm. plan around a big transition like that. And so getting those highlighted early and making everyone aware of it is, uh, is critical for success. Anything else that we left out in, you think, on kind of, I, like so far, by the way, I think that I've really enjoyed the discussion. I think there's a lot of good points that like we've okay. conveyed across, but is there anything else that we've left out that you'd want to add in? I think the only thing, which I don't think this kind of goes back when I go back to this, but one of the questions you person sent me was, how do you ensure the strategies that we create for kind of, you know, align with the business objectives and go through this yeah. process? So, you know, I'm thinking about that and it's kind of funny. I think almost every company does this, right? Because what I've been at does it, when they have their five pillars, seven boxes, whatever their thing is that they <laughs> use, right? And really, you know, I do in, in designing the comp plans and it, kind of, it helps me as well not to go down rat holes uh, with certain sales leaders. There's always a kind of map, what are we doing to one of those pillars or boxes, wherever the case may be. Is this, what we're trying to pay for, is this support one of the, where we're on strategies in the business, right? Or objectives, wherever the case, whatever you want to call them, right? And if it's no, is this something we really want to do? Like, why do, why should we, if this is going to support that, then why should we really be doing this? It is actually a good way to wrap it up. So let me try to, I'll, I'll weave it back in because at the end of the day, why are we involved? Because we're trying to drive behavior. And so, you know, curious, what do you do to ensure that the strategy aligns with that business objective from a comp design perspective? And then maybe that that's a good way to kind of wrap that up and that makes yeah. okay. okay. So I think, you know, back to, you know, prior conversation, the importance of, of being at the table when we're thinking about a go-to-market strategy shift is that ultimately incentives are a great way to change behavior, drive an outcome. And so it's kind of to wrap all of this in the discussion up, I guess, how do you ensure that when you're going through the strategies align with the business objectives that we're trying to achieve? So and every company I've been with so far in my career, I said some type of PowerPoint slide, you've probably seen them, right? So we have our five pillars, our seven boxes, or whatever the case may be, that, that kind of are the strategy of the business overall, right? So what I like to do is take that. And if you don't have it in your company, you should ask what are those five, six, seven strategic things that we should be thinking about as employees. But I take those and I'd say, if someone says, we want to have a plan that pays on this or drives that or wherever the case may be, I just try to map it back to that visual or those pillars and say, is what we're going to do here, is it going to support what are these pillars? Like, can I map it? If I, the CEO came and said, why are you paying people to do this? What's my elevator speech for? Because we believe that it supports pillar number three in this way. And that's usually, if I can talk to that and the sales leader I'm working with can talk to that, then it probably is not a bad idea and we'll support the business. We have trouble articulating how it supports one of the pillars and you probably want to rethink. Yeah, 100%. This goes back to, can you describe the call plan on a paper napkin? But at the end of the day, it's, yeah, can you define how it's going to impact business objectives. And if you can't quickly and easily define it, then it's likely there's a gap or something that needs to be reassessed. Yeah. No, I've really enjoyed the discussion. I think it's, you know, kind of like as a, as a key takeaway for any sales comp leader in the space, I do think you need to push to be a part of those strategy conversations to be an enabler for the business to drive towards these bigger outcomes and support on these larger transformations of go-to-market strategy. And I think, you know, everything you've shared today has been, been super insightful. I guess to wrap up here, um, would love to, to get your input on, on two rapid fire questions and love to hear your perspective on this. So 
The first question that we ask everyone that comes to the show is, who in the world of sales comp would you most like to take out to lunch? In the world of sales comp? You know, there's somebody, I think he's retired now, but I worked with him for a number of years back in my first guy in the jail kind of. His name is Jerry Coletti. I don't know if you've worked with him or heard of him at all, but he was a consultant and I worked with him a lot. He was just a great guy. So and I haven't seen him in, God, 20 years maybe. So I'd love to go out to lunch with Jerry. I feel like this, yeah, World of Sales Comp is a small space and there's a lot of people that have had, you know, impacts on us over the years, I think. I, yeah, I would agree. And for all the listeners out there, I guess, you know, what's one book that you would recommend for sales comp professionals? Sales comp professionals? Actually, one that I use, it's great because I use it as like a, a reference tool. It's the Sales Compensation Fundamentals, I think it's called. It was written by a combination of, I probably get some, missed some of the names, but I think it was written by a combination of Scott Sands, who used to be the principal at Aon, Sales Effectiveness, of Jerry Clay was involved in it, like Mary Fist was involved with it. And I think there was one more person, but I can't remember who that fourth person was. The other behind me here, but I can't uh, think of the name off the top of my head, but Davey Chelly from the EGI group, he has one that's kind of very similar to, to the one I talked about Scott James and Jerry wrote, very similar, but the two combined, it's like, if you're thinking of something, you're like, I need an idea of how I can build a plan to do X. It's like a great reference. So you just go, I maybe have it online now. I don't know, but I saw it in the books. But I just paste through it. You look in the back of the index, find the thing you're looking for. They get a couple of ideas on how to build something or what a best practice is. And when I first kind of got started in sales compensation, I didn't know. I was as much as I know today. I would use those, those two books to really kind of help me think about what is the best practice for this? I mean, I guess you can Google it now. But if you want a book, those are good books. No, I, well, I feel like even... Uh... Even Googling is, I do find the books sometimes are just a very quick, easy reference, especially as you get comfortable with where they are in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, no, thank you for joining the show. And I found the discussion very insightful and, and hope that the listeners do as well. But it's always great to connect with sales comp professionals that have had the tenure that you've had and, and kind of even the role and, and the tools and technology that we use shift drastically in that time. And I appreciate you taking the time to do this today. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Well, thanks. The Sales Competition Show is brought to you by Forma AI, the first sales competition platform designed around the agile methodology of CompOps. To learn more about how Forma AI can help design, execute, and optimize your sales comp strategy, visit Forma.ai. Find us by searching for Sales Competition on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or anywhere else podcasts are found. And make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. On behalf of the team here at Forma AI, thanks for listening.